My name is James Piscasio, and I'm super loud. Um, I count it an honor and a privilege to come before you guys. Um, it's so good um, to, to be able to share what God has uh, been teaching me in this text. Thank you, Brandon, uh, the, the elders, um, who you know gave me this opportunity to, to stand before you. Um, you know, we've been at Soma for a number of years, and I just have a great love uh, for this church. And, and I, it's so great to look around and see um, a ton of faces that I know and some that I don't know um, in here this morning. So thank you guys uh, for being here with me. Um, over the last couple of months, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you haven't been uh, tracking with us, we've been going through Jesus' teaching uh, sermon on the Mount, and we began, or, or Jesus began, in looking at the crowds and, and starting with what we call the Beatitudes or, or the blessings. So Jesus said things like, "Blessed um, are the peacemakers. Blessed uh, are the meek. Blessed are you." And and then he looked at the crowds and he encouraged them by saying that they are the salts of the earth. They are the lights of the world. And that they should do things, they should do works, so that people would see that and give glory to God who is in heaven. And Jesus instructed them to begin to reorient their view of the law, that is the law of the prophets, um, as it pertains to things like anger, lust, and adultery. Now, the, the crowds are really great at following the law and saying, hey, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't commit adultery with anybody. But Jesus has said that if you... Uh, if you're getting angry with your brother, if you're lusting, right, then you've committed the same level um, of sin. So to reorient their view, he instructs them to do. And then he instructs them to do things that, that when they do things, to not do them like hypocrites do them. So things like giving and praying and fasting. To not do those things just to be seen by men and women so that they might receive glory, um, but, but that they would look to do those things when they do those things. They do it in a different way. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' command to not be anxious. And it's really easy for us to forget that God is a father that loves us, that cares for us, that knows what we need. Uh, the Bible says that God uh, clothes the grass of the field and, and he takes care of the birds. How much more are you of, of worth to him? So don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for um, what you'll be looking to eat or, or drink or what clothes you have on. And then just last week, we talked about uh, Jesus' commandment to consider our own sins before we begin to judge one another, uh, to look at the log that's in your eye, your own eye before you look to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Um, and as we near the end of the sermon, not this sermon this morning, but the Sermon on the Mount, we come to this passage that invites us to ask, seek, and knock. And this morning we're going to talk about three things. The first is how we should approach God as a father who we can ask and seek things from. The second is a question of why we don't get what we ask for, seek after. We find that doors are not being opened. And the third is uh, if there's a reason why those things don't come to us that we ask and seek for, what then should we be asking for? What should we be seeking for? And what door should we be knocking on that they be open? Because at the end of today, what I want you to know that is when we align our hearts to God, we can boldly ask him for what we want with full assurance that our desires, those desires, will be satisfied. 
So before we get into that, uh, will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, you are a good, good Father that loves us, your children. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to accepting that reality and be open to trusting you. I pray that you would speak through me at this time, be not used to make my name great or draw attention to myself, but rather this time be used to point your people back to yourself, your goodness, and your greatness. God, we love you. God, we need you. And we're thankful that you're here with us this morning. Amen. So as a kid growing up in uh, Las Vegas, uh, my parents would take my brothers and I to church all the time. I'm the middle of, of three brothers. Um, and my parents, my, my mom and my dad, had this great reverence for the church and for Sunday morning, just getting to church. So what that translated to was that we would get up on Sunday, we'd have to get dressed in a cotton button-down shirt or corduroy pants, no matter how hot it was in the middle of the desert, and we would get prepped for church, right? So that meant we didn't play video games, we didn't watch TV. All that we could do was listen to gospel music and read books. All right, so that's all we had. And that continued from the second that we rolled out of bed to when uh, we, got out, we got home from church. Because of my parents' piety, because of their devotion to the church, I was able to hear a lot of sermons. We heard some sermons on Sunday morning. We heard them on Sunday night. We heard them at Wednesday night Bible study, prayer service, small group. Anytime that my mom had a word from the Lord and that interrupted whatever we were doing, we just constantly inundated with all of these uh, messages from God. And because of that, it formed and, and conditioned me at a young age to just kind of fall in love with God's word, right? To, to want to read stories and um, want to read more about, you know, what was going on in the Bible. But I don't remember too many times where we settled into Matthew 7, 7 through 11. So um, if you would still have that open, read this passage with me again. Jesus tells the crowds, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So as a kid growing up in a house with parents that loved the Lord and, and loved going to church and feared and respected the word of God, having this scripture, having this passage would have been gold. right? I, I can imagine going to my dad and asking him for something, and before he starts to say no or formulate an answer, I can say, well, in the word of God it says that if I ask for something, and I see for something, you got to give it to me. So, so how about that video game now? How, how about, about you know, letting me go out and play with my friends now? But because I wasn't armed with direct quotes from the Son of God to persuade my father and my mother to give me things, I had to lean on the belief that uh, my parents would give me things because they love me and they care for me. And right here we're invited by Jesus, the Son of God, to approach God the Father with the same confidence as a child who believes that their parents loves them and cares for them when they're going to them to ask for something or seek for something. So church, when we align our heart with God, we can boldly ask him 
for what we want with full assurance that those things, those desires will be satisfied. I said uh, earlier, we learned in chapter 6 that God takes care of the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow, and God feeds birds that, that don't sow or reap. And the point that Jesus is making is that if God cares about those things, how much more do you think that he cares about you? Right? The Bible says that God is so intimately concerned with who we are and our well-being. God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Now, God is a good, good father who won't give us stones or serpents when we ask for bread or fish. We read again in verses 9 through 11, Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus ends that sentence, if you're reading your Bible with an exclamation point, that's to say excitingly, hey, God is a good Father who wants to give you things. You can trust him. You can ask. You can seek. You can knock because he's ready and willing and able to give you those things. So for a child of God, that's great news. That's awesome news to hear that. Uh, think of it as, you know, you, you, you write to Santa or you used to write to Santa um, and, and you're asking and hoping for a TV or a car with a bow on it or a hardware set or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and, and think about the person on the other end of receiving that letter isn't checking to see if you've been naughty or nice. But when he looks at you, when God looks at you, He sees a son in whom he's well pleased. And how much more, how much more confidence will we have in writing letters or going to God and asking him for things because of that? To say, I have a direct line to my father who is in control of all things, who delights in me, who wants to bless me, who values me and cherishes me. And church, that's a beautiful thing. Now, I'm 26, right? So, So I'm a millennial which means that I know everything, I've experienced everything, I have all the wisdom in the world, and nothing before and nothing after, no one who's ever come will ever be as great as you know, this millennial generation as they are now. Um, and, and what that translates to is, is knowing the reality of writing that letter to Santa or asking for those things and waking up and seeing that the tree is empty. There's no gifts there and that those things haven't been answered. The question I go to, the questions I go to is saying, how does that happen? Why does that happen? And what am I supposed to do when I have these promises from God to where I can ask and seek and knock and I don't get those things? You know, and, um, Brandon gave me the choice of what to preach on and, you know, uh, what, to, what to kind of study in all of chapter 7. This passage really stood out to me because I felt like this was something that I could handle, you know, uh, to come up and, and uh, preach to you. Uh, I could tell you that all you need to do is ask, seek, and knock. God will give you whatever you want. We take communion, and then we go to a cookout, right? It's been really easy. But as I studied more, I realized the hard truth of this passage, that this isn't the type of blank check or letter to Santa that would bring me all that I could ever ask or think. It's really easy for us to approach God with good intentions about what we want. For example, I can go to God and say, God, give me a good marriage. Right? Give me a good wife. It seems like a really legit request. Why wouldn't God want to give me a good marriage, a, you know, a good wife? Um, but if, if I'm honest, uh, the question is, why am I asking God for that? Right? 
Like I said, if I can be honest, it's because um, I want my life to be comfortable and convenient. You know, I want my relationship with my wife to be comfortable and convenient. It's not because I want my marriage to be a representation, a reminder of how much Christ loved the church, that he not only would die for her, but he would live a blameless life for 33 years, be wrongly convicted, be gruesomely killed, and then rise again. Right? That kind of picture in my marriage, if I, if I can be honest, we're not there. Another example is me going to God and saying, hey, God, I want to I see reconciliation in your church. I want to be able to reconcile people across political lines and cultural lines and racial lines and socioeconomic lines. God, give me the strength to do that, which is another good and great thing to ask God to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes that Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We can take that to be reconciled to God and to one another. Right, but I can, if I can be honest, the temptation there is to seek reconciliation uh, so that we can be seen as nailing this diversity, this multicultural, ethnic church thing. So that people would look at us and see how well we've achieved the metric or we project an image of diversity so that people would applaud what we're doing and see how far we've come. Like I said, it's really easy to approach God with good intentions about what you want. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are times where there's something else that's going on at the core of who we are. Something that, that taints those requests that we make to God. We can also find ourselves on the other side of that, where we don't ask God for anything at all, right? Again, as a functioning 26-year-old, I feel that I can go out and get whatever it is that I need, whatever I want, I can handle this. I can work to get whatever I'm pursuing. I can bring things about by my own power, and I don't need to be dependent. I don't need to persevere in asking and seeking and knocking. And the reality is that inherent to asking someone for something, i.e. asking God for something, is a recognition that you are in need or you want something and that you have a deficiency and that that person has something that can meet that need. So for someone who's prideful and stubborn, like I tend to be at times, the image of being dependent on someone is uh, really tough, tough pill to swallow. Because I have to trust that that person would be able to listen and to meet that request, and that's hard. So out of pride and stubbornness and distrust, um, I don't ask what I'm seeking to obtain. I just don't. The three conclusions that, that, that I gather from that uh, that prevents us corporately, if we can be honest, from taking those requests to God is that, one, we don't ask him for things because we're prideful and stubborn. We don't ask because we don't always trust that God has our good in mind. And we don't ask because we feel as though we have the resources to get what we want without having to be dependent on God. Let's say it differently, I'll uh, I say it this way, it's like, I don't trust that God has my good in mind. I don't ask him for things because I'm prideful and stubborn. And I don't ask because I feel as though I can go out and get what I want without having to be dependent on God. Whatever the intention of the request that I make to God, I feel that in the moment is just and right, and I know exactly what I want, I know exactly how he should give it to me, and I feel that it should be given to me at the moment where I ask him for it. And it's all this misplaced sense of entitlement, right? So this wasn't like handed down by somebody. Um, 
you know, to, to have this view of, of a stubborn person just sitting there and asking. I remember one of the instances, one of the instances of where this misplaced entitlement manifested itself in my relationship with my parents. So uh, when I was younger, I wanted a CD player, right? Uh, I wanted a CD player that had bass boost. That's all I cared about. Um, I would get this CD player and turn on my bass boost, and then I can bump to whatever Outkast song was playing in 2003. <laughs> We're good. And I would petition my parents, who, if you remember, uh, fear the Lord, loved God, loved his word, loved their kids um, for this CD player. My parents said no. So in my um, uh, persistence of, of asking for this thing, um, oh, constantly, Mom, hey, Dad, can I have this? Can I have this? I realize now that, that when you're trying to keep three boys alive, feeding us as much as they need to feed us to keep us alive, we didn't have a lot of extra money for luxuries like CD players with bass boost. So, <laughs> you know, you couldn't, 12, 12, you couldn't tell 12, 13-year-old James that. So I persisted, and they didn't relent. So as an act of civil disobedience, what I would do is I'd take an old pair of headphones, and I'd just put them on my ears, unplugged into anything. There's no CD player, nothing attached here. And I, anywhere we went, I would just wear those all the time. And I'd look at my parents every now and then and just kind of twirl that uh, cord as if to say, hey, this isn't attached to anything here. I thought I was doing something great. I wasn't. You see, C player in this pursuit, it wasn't just to, you know, listen to outcasts or whatever. I, I saw it uh, also as, as a means to, to worship and, and listen to gospel music, something I love to do. I continue to love to do that. Um, and it was like this autonomy, this, this safe space where I could do it. So I was asking not just for something that I felt was terrible. It's like my parents wanted me to listen to gospel music and be that kind of kid. Um, but I didn't get it. So after months of this active protest or passive protest of headphones and nothing plugged in and conversations, uh, I finally wake up one day and I get the CD player, bass boost and all, happy day, really excited, throwing CDs in there, listening to them. And I found that the CD player didn't have anti-skip protection. So if you remember... Back in the day, if you had a CD player with no anti-skip protection, anytime somebody bumped the table or you went to put it in your pocket, um, CD player, the CD would skip, right? So, so now I can't get into a groove, can't, can't listen to music, um, and now I'm frustrated. Now I'm mad at my parents. I tell the story because in my persistence, I ended up getting what I wanted. But after having it and realizing the flaws and seeing the shortcomings, um, I, I didn't use that CD player anymore. You know, it brought momentary happiness, but it wasn't sustaining. And in my heart, I would get frustrated, and it's like, why didn't they give me a better CD player with anti-skip and with bass boost? Didn't they want what was best for me? I say we treat God the same way, in that we make requests with the wrong intentions, or we're asking and pushing God for one thing when it has something far greater for or we don't ask at all. Like I said, we get upset when, when we don't have anything. I'll just invite you to be honest about those kinds of frustrations and struggles um, as you go to God and you ask for things. If you find yourself angry that something didn't come to pass how you expected it or, or how you wanted it, 
I would ask that you examine these things. Did you ask God for it? How did you ask God for it? And why did you ask God for it? In the book of James, the churches uh, that James was writing to experienced discord and disdain because their requests were going unanswered. People were responding to that by fighting with one another, quarreling with one another. James writes in chapter 4 this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I submit to you that the reason why you may not be getting what you're asking for or seeking after is because you're asking wrongly. Or your passions and pride are overtaking you to the point that asking, seeking, and knocking is beneath you. And you just don't do it. The way to look at this or an example that's used is treating God like a genie where you, know, you rub a lamp and, and God's supposed to pop out and give you exactly what you asked for in the way that you asked for it, um, right when you asked for it. And then he's supposed to get out of your way. Now, I know most of us won't explicitly say this is what we're doing, but if we can be honest with uh, ourselves, it is. You know, There's a level of control to be the one who gives or provides that I know that I can get intoxicated with and and addicted to, not realizing that that very thing is killing my relationship to God. But what happens when we throw the notion against the good intentions that I talked about? So so in asking God and seeking for something that may be good, you know, against the fact that we may be asking wrongly. And it doesn't have to be marriage, and it doesn't have to be reconciliation. But what about when someone is sick or dying? Am I saying that pleading and praying for those people to be healed is stained by our selfish passions and that's what's causing them to go unanswered? Or maybe not even a request that we're making to see someone saved, but a bold call for God to fulfill a promise that he made to us. Is that going to fall on deaf ears? The reality is that sometimes God withholds things from us out of his unending love for us. And in that, God is trying to teach us to trust him. Remember, God is going to give you a serpent when you ask for a fish. The same way God's not going to give you a stone when you ask for bread. God, isn't, God also isn't going to give you a serpent when you ask for a serpent, even though you don't know it. One of the biblical accounts that you know, I look to and I'm wrestling with these questions is the story of Abram, the life of Abram, who we know as Abraham, and how God, God calls Abraham when he is 75 years old out of uh, the land of his father uh, to go to a place that God has for him where he'll be blessed, made into a great nation, and Abraham's name will be made great, which is awesome. Right, I'd sign up for that. And time and time again, over the course of walking with God, Abraham would go to him and say, where is that promise that you promised to me? Right, to, to bring about being a great nation, you need to have kids. And Abraham didn't have any kids. So Abraham would go to God and say, where is my heir that would bring forth this promise? 
God's response to Abraham was, I'm going to do this. Trust me. And here we see a man who was walking with the Lord for 100 years or for 25 years. And it wasn't until he was 100 that Isaac was born. The reality is when we align our heart with God, we can boldly ask him for what we want with full assurance that those desires will be fulfilled. And we must also realize that when Jesus is instructing us to ask, to seek, and to knock, we must persevere in doing so. We can't walk with God for 24 years when our promise is in uh, year 25, and we give up before we get there. We must continue to persevere in, in seeking and asking and knocking, but not to take a passive role in that. Take, in a, take a, an example from Abraham and how he went to God about his promises, and he asked him continuously, where is this? You promised me. You told me that whatever I asked for, I would receive. Whatever I seek for, I will find. Whatever doors that I knock on will be opened. You're supposed to be my father. I'm your child. Don't withhold your gifts from me. What it look like for us to boldly go before God time and time again, to be so dependent on him, to persevere through that, to ask him for those good things. We're invited not just here in the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout the New Testament, to boldly and to confidently make our requests known to God with the assurance and with the faith that God is going to give us what we ask for. James is implying that we need to ask in a certain way so that we're not asking from a covetous place, so that the granting of the requests will satisfy our sinful desires or passions. So, What should we ask for and how should we ask for it? You turn with me to John 15, starting in verse 4. I hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jump down to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I'm not a gardener. I couldn't, you know, keep a plant alive or anything like that. But one thing I do know is that if you have a vine that's producing grapes, you're not going to have cherries and apples on that vine. This is to say that the DNA of that vine, of that plant, is going to produce a certain kind of fruit. In the same way, if we're sharing the DNA, that is to say the blood of Christ, then the fruit that we're producing, our desires that we're seeking, the things that we're asking for, should line up with the desires and the things that he wants to give us. Remember, God already knows what you need. He already knows that that you need clothes and you need food. And and he's saying you don't have to ask or be anxious about those things. Instead, Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In the same way, David instructs us in Psalms to delight in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of your heart. So then you say, what what am I supposed to ask for then? And what you could ask for is ask God for a pure heart 
because those are the people that will see God. You can ask them to be made meek because those are the people that will inherit the earth. You can ask God to make you into a person that will hunger and thirst for righteousness because the Bible says you will be satisfied. These are the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount with. And Jesus throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount is giving us trade after trade of the kind of person that we should aspire to be. And this person isn't somebody that we can just transform ourselves into by doing good works or, or by trying hard enough. Because no matter how much you try by your might alone, you can't make yourself into a peacemaker. You can't make yourself into someone who's just wanting to show mercy to everybody who wrongs you without God's help. So ask him to make you that kind of person. Seek God's help to be a peaceful person as you work through reconciliation, not because in doing so we reach a metric, but because we want to see relationships restored and healed. Ask God for a spirit of mercy towards your spouse, Not so that your life is easier, but so that they can see that act as a representation of how God extends mercy to us. Don't give up asking, seeking, and knocking because we don't see the request coming the way we envisioned it. Persevere with God. Trust in God because he is faithful. When we align our heart with God, we can boldly ask him for what we want with full assurance that those desires will be fulfilled. Amen? Seek to be the light of the world, not for your glory, but for God's glory, that men will see your deeds and give glory to the Father in heaven. Knock on the door that leads to godly boldness and confidence to be able to withstand the reviling and persecution from others as you live out your faith. Jesus is saying here, God, because he is a good, good father, loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you to be rejected by the Father because on Jesus the sins of the world was laid so that we can be presented as blameless. And God will look at us with the same love that he looks at Christ with. And he's wanting to produce in us the fruit that will lead to his glory. You see, when we align our heart with God, then we desire something more. And those desires will be satisfied. God isn't going to give you stones when you ask for bread. God isn't going to give you a serpent when you ask for fish. I think about how comforting it must have been for the people of that day to hear that at that time. They've been sitting there with Jesus for who knows how long, hearing about the types of people that would enter into and experience the kingdom of God and realizing that their behaviors and efforts weren't enough to be able to get there. But thanks be to God that he provided a path to himself and his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John 5, 13-15 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So let that be comfort to your souls today. It be comfort that God hears you, your Father loves you, that he wants what's best for you, that you don't need to fear, you don't need to fall to the temptation of your passions. That you can rest in the assurance that God has adopted you into his family because of the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
I leave you with these lyrics that, you know, I'm prepping for this sermon I now hear with new ears. They go like this. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's pray. God, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for Christ's sacrifice. We thank you that you are a good father to us. May we never lose hope or faith in that. May we never grow weary in our pursuit of asking, seeking, and knocking that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. 